Gracious God and Father, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. It will bless all who hear it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I grew up in Lafayette, Indiana, and I attended uh, Edgelia Elementary School, and I don't mind telling you, I, I, I was a good student. Uh, I never got into trouble. I never had to make a journey down to the principal's office for anything. But there was another boy in my class who frequented the principal's office. Uh, he got into trouble regularly. Uh, his name was Billy. I won't give you his last name. But um, Billy was something of a hellion, I guess. And uh, I can remember one day he came back from the principal's office and he was proudly announcing to me that the principal had shown him how to lace up his sneakers in the very same way that a U.S. Army paratrooper laces up his boots. And he showed me his sneakers laced up differently than mine. And I thought, wow. The principal showed you that? I mean, the principal, he must be your buddy. Uh, he showed you how to lace up your sneakers the way an airborne soldier laces up his boots. And you always get into trouble. I never get into trouble. And the principal doesn't even know who I am. He doesn't even know my name. I thought, there's something wrong here. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like somebody less worthy than you received some special attention that you thought you deserved more? Well, something like that is going on in our gospel lesson for today with respect to the younger son and the older son. But before I go there, just fast forward now many years, and my home congregation in Lafayette, Grace Lutheran Lafayette, is celebrating an anniversary. And there's this big dinner at, at some event venue afterward, and um, I was invited there to preach the sermon, and I preached the sermon. We're at dinner later, and who sh whom should I see at the dinner but my third grade teacher, uh, I knew her as Miss Johnston, but she, she married right after my third grade year, uh, Sheila Clinker, and she's a state rep from Lafayette. You may know her, Ryan, and and um, wonderful woman. She was a great teacher. I was in her first class out of Purdue. When she graduated, she taught at third grade at Edgelia. I was in her first class. I was a good student. Never got into trouble, like I told you. And I went up to her after, after the dinner, and I said, uh, Mrs. Clinker, I said, I, I'm John Armstrong. I was in your first class uh, in third grade at Edgelia. And I, I attended your wedding um, that summer following our third grade year. And she looked at me and she said, 
I'm sorry I don't remember you, but I remember Billy. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, the class bad boy, he's the one who's remembered, you know? Well, uh, page 11 in your worship bulletin, Roman number one, in our gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus describes two kinds of people. There's the obvious sinner, and there's the less obvious sinner. <laughs> the obvious and the less obvious. And letter A, both love their father's wealth rather than their father. They love his substance, what he can give them, more than they love him. In verse 12, the younger son says, I want my share of the estate as if you were dead, okay? <laughs> Give me my portion in advance, I'm out of here. And he gets away as far as he can from his dad. Now the older son, the, the good son, is really no better. The older son, later in the parable, he objects to the younger son's restoration and the celebration thereof. And it's important to know this. It's not obvious, but it's true. The celebration in your parable is not in honor of the son at all. It's in honor of the father who restored. He found his son. He restored his son. He did. And it's important to know what the context here is. Immediately before the parable, there's another parable. It's the parable of the woman who had 10 coins, 10 silver coins, and she lost one of them. And Jesus says she swept her entire house until she found that one coin. And then she called together her friends and she said, celebrate with me because I have found my coin that was lost. And right before that, there's the parable of the shepherd who had 100 sheep and one of them was lost, and he left the 99 in the wilderness to go seek the one that was lost until he found it. And when he found it, he puts it on his shoulders, he carries it home, and he sends a message out to his friends, come and celebrate with me because I have found my sheep which was lost. And that's what's going on in this third parable of the prodigal son. The father is the one who finds, I'll say more about this in a moment, he finds his son. And he celebrates the finding, the restoration. But the older son doesn't want to honor his father in this way. He cares more about getting his due than he cares about his father. And like the younger son did earlier, the older son is, is really saying, I want what's mine. Letter B, both sons remove themselves from the family. They remove, both remove themselves. In verse 13, the younger son left his father's house. In verse 28, the older son refuses to enter his father's house. So they're both outside the house for different reasons. The younger son removed himself geographically from his father. The older son removed himself emotionally and spiritually from his father. 
The older son refuses to call his father father. Others do, but he, don't, he won't. And he refuses to call his brother his brother. He says to his father, this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, wasted everything. And in verse 29, the older son reveals whom he would like to celebrate with. It's not his father, it's not his brother, it's with his friends. So without ever leaving home, the older son proves himself to be as distant from his family as the younger son had been. Let her see. Both sons receive the same extraordinary love. The father comes out of his house to welcome the younger son into the house, even as the father later comes out of the house to appeal to his older son to come into the house. And in spite of their hard hearts, he continues to refer to both of them as son. So one son is lawless, outside of the law, the other son is lawless within the law. One son, the younger, becomes an honorable sinner. The other son, the older one, becomes a hypocritical saint. But neither son is able to nullify or expunge away the love the father has for both. So letter D. With whom do you identify in the parable? Now, I'll admit, nobody wants to be the elder brother. Nobody. But I believe there is a tendency now among those of us who are good, observant Christians to become more like the elder brother. I think there's that tendency. And, and here's why. We evangelize. We attend worship regularly. We give sacrificially when others don't. We make visits, we attend meetings, we teach classes, we share our talents with the congregation and those outside. We prepare meals for those in need. We sponsor special events and we show up for them. We unashamedly stand up for biblical marriage and morality. We afflict the comfortable through the preaching of the law and we comfort the afflicted through the preaching of the gospel, and we support the same. We are the visible church, and we do the visible work of the church. We keep the doors open and the lights on, and we see others who keep their distance from the church and still claim to be part of it. And what are we to think? It reminds me of Mary and Martha in Luke 10 when Martha complains to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? My friends, those of us who work hard for the Lord are tempted to look down on those who do not. And if God should bless them in some way, if God should elevate them in some manner without elevating us, well, then, like the older son in our parable, we assume that our Father in heaven isn't there or that he doesn't care or that he isn't fair. 
we begin to assume that he owes us. And that attitude lives in all of us and it is deadly. We think this way because we want God to judge us on the basis of what we've done. And when we do that, we place ourselves under the condemnation of God himself because St. Paul wrote that all who rely on the works of the law are under God's curse. So there is danger, even in being a good Christian. We don't want to be obvious sinners, obviously, and we don't want to be less obvious sinners either. We're called to be repentant sinners every day, every hour, every moment. And just as Jesus describes two kinds of sinners in our gospel reading, he also describes, this is Roman numeral two, Jesus describes himself and his ministry in this parable. Now, all the parables are about Jesus. They're all about him. He's the main character in each one. And that's especially true in Luke 15. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go and seek out the one that is lost to bring it home. That's Jesus and his ministry among Israel. He's the woman with 10 coins that loses one and sweeps the entire house until he finds that one. That portrays Jesus and his ministry. And the father in our parable is really a Jesus, a Christ figure. In letter A, the younger son's repentance is not yet repentance in verses 17 through 19. He wants a relationship with his father that is based on what he can do, on his works, on how he performs. That's not repentance. That is pharisaical repentance. Letter B, the father's grace overwhelms the younger son. True repentance is this. It is acceptance of being found. It's acceptance of being found. The prodigal expects to come back as a worker, but the father is so full of compassion that he embraces him, he clothes him in the best and the finest, he puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And the son is so overwhelmed by this, he's so overwhelmed by the father's grace that he knows he can no longer ask to be a servant without insulting his father's goodness. He now accepts being restored as a son. It's like, okay, father, for your sake, we'll do this. In other words, he accepts a status he knows he cannot possibly merit. Now that is repentance. When he left home, he wanted to be completely independent of his father, and now he accepts being completely dependent on his father. That's repentance. That's faith. And that's a son who's restored let her see. The father's grace offends the older son whose attitude is that of a slave or a servant. 
not a son. He says in verse 29, and this is literal, look, these many years I've slaved for you. I've slaved for you. He sees his father's service not as a get-to, but as a got-to. And the older son believes his father owes him something. My friends, the harder you work, the more deserving you feel compared to others. And when you think that way, you have abandoned the God of grace. Without ever leaving home, the older son proved to be as distant from his father as the younger son had been. And I've sort of come up with an axiom here. The better I think I am, the worse I become. <laughs> because we can't help but to compare ourselves with one another. Letter D. The good news is God loves even the worst among us even when we are at our worst and only because of the cross. While we were still sinners, doing our worst, Christ died for us, did he not? Even the best people among us, even the less obvious sinners, are capable of being the worst people of all, self-righteous people. The truth is, even the best among us are so lost, are so bad, that only the death of God himself at the cross could cover and remove our sin. That's how bad we are. It took God himself dying in our place to remove the sin of ours. That's how lost we are without God. The God-man, Jesus, had to go to such an extreme in order to find us and to restore us. And when you believe that about yourself, you're no longer lost. When you believe that about yourself, you've been found. You've been found by the God of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.